From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Reaching a milestone presents an opportunity for reflection. And while we won't go all the way back to our beginnings in 2015 to mark our 250th episode, we will use it to take a big picture view of how the Gators and college athletics in general have gotten through what is hopefully the tougher times of COVID. So to do a proper survey of what we've been through and where we hope to be going soon, we felt the best way to do that was by sitting down with Athletic Director Scott Strickland to address a variety of topics, including CFP reform, the state of the football program, guiding basketball through the Keontae Johnson scare, the opening of the new baseball stadium, the progress on the new football facility, and of course, his latest pop culture picks and recommendations. Without wasting another moment, let's get to that conversation now, which I began by asking how college football overcame seemingly insurmountable odds to complete a fall season and crown a national champion. Well, it's probably uh, probably two things. That's a great question, the way it was phrased. I've not heard it phrased quite that way. Our medical professionals, starting with our uh, our doctors, in our case at UF Health, but from a conference standpoint, the uh, SEC's medical task force and their diligence and insight and protocols that were put in place that provided a a healthy, safe avenue to to figure out how to compete, uh, number one our sports medicine teams on our campus. And so when I say sports medicine, I'm talking about your trainers. You know, I'm talking about the, you know, the guys traditionally and ladies, you think traditionally they're taping ankles, but these are really, they, these are the, the frontline healthcare people for our student athletes. And they were unbelievable during this uh, because once the, the doctors, you know, give the guidelines and, and the protocol our sports medicine team and our operations staff and several others, but but our sports medicine team kind of at the point of the tip of the spear were the ones that had to execute it. And so at UF, it's uh, Stacey Higgins and Duke Werner and and on the football side, Paul Silvestri, and, and there's so many others. Uh, but, you know, so little things from, you know, moving our weight room over to the uh, conjured indoor practice facility because the doctors and medical people felt that there was better airflow and safer environment over there to, uh, you know, setting up tents over by the practice fields for guys to change into their gear in. So, you know, we minimize the amount of time we're in a locker room and enclosed space. Um, All the testing that occurred on a daily basis. So, you know, the medical people would be, you know, their their guidance, their belief it could be done, Mm -hmm. because obviously we're not going to do something uh, in the medical field unless, uh, unless they bless it. And then secondly, it was a huge desire by everyone who went through the process, starting with the student athletes and the coaches and our staff and the administrators, um, that, that, you know, this is something we felt was worth doing. And we all saw the effects mentally and, and otherwise when we sent everybody home in the spring and, and no one was had the opportunity to compete. Um, I think that probably impacted a lot of people's views of, you know, it's, it's important to at least try if there's a way, even though it, it may be difficult. There's a probably an, an hours long version of this conversation that would be the answer to this next question. But if if you boil it down, 
thinking about everything that went into planning this year and how different it would be, is there anything that surprised you or things you didn't expect that you've had to come up with answers to along the way? Oh, you know, Adam, that's, that's another good question. I'd have to give that some thought. Um, there was, there was so much of it that, that I don't know if any of it was surprising. Oftentimes you're reminded that things were not normal because when you're sitting there watching a game, um, or watching your team warm up, you could, you know, you can kind of squint and you can, it kind of feels normal and mm-hmm. you kind of, you know, or if you're watching a game on TV and they're not panning to the crowd, it feels right. normal. And then they do pan to the crowd or you, you, you know, you leave the stadium after a big win and there's nobody still tailgating because the campus is empty because right. there were so few people on traffic's already gotten, has already moved on. <laughs> and so though, you know, the, one of the more, more surreal moments was, you know, over in Jacksonville, the big win over Georgia in the rivalry game. And after the game, you know, the, you know, the, the team is all happy and giddy and, you know, they do their interviews and usually, you know, you walk, I walk out of the stadium after that and you know how it is at Jacksonville. I mean, for the, mm-hmm. for the Florida Georgia game, it's a bit of a madhouse even yeah. after the game and you, you walk out and, you know, there's just a few dozen cars in the parking lot and it's, it's just, you know, it's surreal. Um, again, I don't know if those were surprising, but there was, there were constant reminders. Uh, even when things seemed somewhat normal, there were constant reminders that things really were not normal. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure part of that for you too was uh, your experience being on the selection committee this year. Uh, this was your, your final year, correct? Of that three-year term? Correct. What was that like this year in terms of just the logistics of the way the committee did business during COVID as opposed to your first two years in, in normal world? Well, obviously, all the things that we're doing from a mitigation standpoint and all of us are doing in daily life, we were doing, you know, we were practicing social distancing. Usually we're in a, you know, we're around a conference table and you're two feet away from the committee member next to you. Uh, we were all spread out six feet apart. We had masks on the entire meeting hand sanitizer everywhere, you know, you're doing all those kind of things. You know, that, that was a little bit different. You know, one of the things that, that makes the committee really work is, is uh, you spend a lot of time with those people. And so you, you really bond. I, th- I still think the, the committee did a great job of bonding and, and uh, our chair, Gary Barda, who's the athletic director at Iowa, deserves a lot of credit for that, but it was still, it was still, you know, you're, you're not bonding as much as you do during normal times because mm-hmm. you're always careful. Um, the biggest the biggest difference in in the committee work this year was what is pretty obvious, which is the uh, disparate amount of games that different schools played, and and the lack of non conference meaningful you know significant non conference competition to mm-hmm. make comparisons between conferences on. Just you we removed a lot of data points were removed from the process, and that really. Uh, you know, had a huge impact on on trying to work through that. I, I think, you know, selfishly, I think the committee still got got most things right there. And, and if you look at who made the playoffs and who finished in the, you know, who played in the championship game, I think most people would agree those were probably the two best teams. But it's it was obviously it's not something that uh, the committee the committee and that structure really wasn't designed for a year where <laughs> some teams are playing ten eleven games and some teams are playing five and six games. And, and, you know, I think we all knew it was going to be an impossible task going into it. And it, it, it was not easy at all. Mm-hmm. I don't know how the rules work, if it's like, you know, magicians where you can't give the secrets. But I'm curious if you can share 
what your thinking was on, I guess, the, the big debate about the number of games, because ultimately it seems like there, there was a perception that there was, you know, Ohio State didn't play enough games and they weren't deserving. But then you go back to, as you've said before, and we've talked about this, the mandate of the committee is not to select the most deserving teams. It is the best teams. So I'm curious if you can share your thought process on that. And and was there a lot of diversity of thought within the room when it came to that topic? No, we're, you know, the, the committee stays pretty disciplined as far as following the guidelines as they're set forth by the by the conference commissioners. And so it is to choose the, the best teams. And, you know, there was tip in a typical year when everybody plays 12 games, you're talking about a, a universe of 130 teams mm-hmm. that play FBS football. And, you know, they all play, you know, schedule for the most part, 12 regular season games. And usually you have three to four non-conference games. So those, that's, that's the data that you have to evaluate off of. And even with that, 12 games, 130 teams, there are gaps in the data. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you think about basketball, there's 30-something games. Everybody's playing double-digit non-conference games. A lot more data to evaluate there. Football, 130 teams playing 12 games. That's the data set, but it doesn't all connect. And when it doesn't connect, that's when the subjectivity of the committee comes into play, where they have to watch the film use, you know, uh, look at the analytics and make a determination on who they think the better team is, depending on who they're comparing. And so this year you've stripped out, think about all the data points that got stripped out, whether it's a team that played six games or a team that played 10 games, you're still stripping data points out. You're stripping away non-conference data points, which were always really helpful. And so even more so because we had fewer data points, there were more gaps in the, and the committee members had to use more subjectivity. And that's where watching the games really mattered. Um, and there's no question if you play a six game schedule, uh, each game is probably going to take on more significance in the eyes of the committee, as opposed to a 12 game schedule where, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it spread out over more games, the evaluation. Is. So um, again, I, there was nothing in the protocol that gave the committee the leeway to make a determination based on the number of teams the only thing the committee has the the flexibility to do is rank the teams based on how good they think they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a follow-up on that. I'm sure you've never been asked this before. Uh, playoff expansion. <laughs> <laughs> where where do you stand on it? I know as, as you're leaving the committee, where do you stand on the idea of expansion? And then what would it look like? When could it happen if if it does go that direction in your mind? Well, the conference commissioners form the committee that makes all those decisions for the CFP. And, and obviously, I have a lot of confidence in Greg Sankey representing the STC. And he has a very uh, influential voice in college athletics in general, but especially football. And so I, 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 I don't want to say I want him to kind of speak uh, for us because uh, I trust him and his judgment. Um just globally and more broadly speaking, though, without getting in, you know, personal opinion about the details of what it should look like, mm-hmm. we have to figure out a way to make college football's postseason more meaningful. And I, I think that has gotten away from the sport. Um, it's, you know, bowl games have been really good for a long time uh, to the sport of college football, but I don't think there's, you know, it's no secret that uh, with opt-outs and, and even in a normal year, you know, ticket sales for bowl games aren't what they used to be. That I fear that that's a that's a situation where our postseason is not as meaningful as it is in other sports. You know, you look mm-hmm. at 
all the all the other sports we have from you know the basketballs to the baseball softballs to track and field uh, uh volleyball those are meaningful post seasons mm. and you know i don't know that football college football right now um has that so i'm i'm always i think it's important to know what you're trying to achieve before you start talking specifics of what you're going to do to achieve it and i think whatever comes out of all this whatever happens down the road if something does change the number one thing has got to be how do we make the postseason for college football meaningful mm-hmm. looking back specifically at, at the season the gators had i mean it obviously didn't end the way anybody wanted it to uh, but how do you evaluate this year and where the program is overall following dan mullen's third season well, you know, obviously there's a lot of excitement. Uh, you know, it's, it's well documented. I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and recap everything, but, uh, you know, just the highlights of you know, the super exciting offense, one of probably the most prolific offenses in our school's history. And, um, you know, we got off to a, a exciting start, had the big win, you know, dis- you know had, had two close losses in the regular season, both by three points, uh, had the big win over uh, Georgia. Uh, you know, there's no question it was a really exciting team to watch because of uh, the playmakers and the, and the offensive play calling that went along with it. It was obviously a year where we were in transition on defense. And, you know, a year after being a top 10 defensive unit, you know, we, we took a step back and um, that probably limited how good we could be because we obviously had one of the best offenses in college football, mm-hmm. but, you know, to go to a new year's six bowl for the third consecutive year, you know, Adam, this is a, a great trivia question. There's only two sec teams that have been to three straight new year's six bowls. And, and keep in mind that CFP games are considered New Year's Six Bowls. So mm-hmm. there's only two SEC teams that have done that for the last three years, and, and that's us in Georgia. Um, so even Alabama missed out on New Year's Six a year ago when they that's went to point. the Citrus Bowl. Yeah. So um, I've always felt like in order to be great, you have to be consistently good. And, uh, you know, there's no question that uh, in the last three years since Dan's been, Dan has been here leading our program that, that uh, we've been really consistently good. Um, it doesn't matter what sport you're talking about at Florida. Uh, we talk about championships a lot. We talk about championship experience with integrity, and that's always going to be our goal, and we're not going to apologize for that. But uh, that doesn't necessarily diminish anything that, that this team has accomplished or other teams accomplished just because they don't, you fall short of a championship, an SEC or a national championship. But, uh, you know, I still think we're, you know, we're, we're making progress toward achieving those goals and, you know, it'll be exciting to see what next year brings. I'm, obviously, we're all hoping for – return to some sort of normalcy, you know, hoping for play a 12 game season and hoping that we can welcome Gator nation back to the swamp and, and have those raucous crowds that, that we're accustomed to in pre COVID times. And, uh, you know, that combined with the continued success is, is, is the goal looking forward. And I think we have a great chance to achieve those things. You've been around a long time. You know, that January is, uh, this is the, the silly season, the coaching carousel, the rumors flying all over the place. Uh, you're, you're on social media. I don't have to tell you what those rumors are. You hear them all. I'm just curious how you navigate those waters. And in this particular cycle with what's going on, how do you sort of stay on your course and, and not get caught up in everything else that, that's swirling out there? Well, you know, you don't really pay attention to rumors and speculation. You know, I'm, I'm privy to a lot of information uh, that I know <laughs> that is quite often counter to what the rumors and the speculation is. And, <laughs> Um, so I, I, you know, I, I don't get caught up in that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wish there was a way to, uh, address it to fan for fans. Cause I know they don't have, they don't, they're not necessarily privy to the information I have. <laughs> uh, 
but you also don't want, I, I never felt like it was healthy to respond to rumors and speculation. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, I, I, there's an old saying, believe, uh, believe half of what you, uh, what, make sure I get this right. Believe half of what you hear or half of what you see and none of what you hear. <laughs> and, and, uh, that, you know, that's, that's always good advice this time of year because there's a, you know, a lot of crazy things out there by people who have unnamed sources. And I'm just, you know, I think you should always be suspicious, suspicious if somebody's not going to put their name on it. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they're not going to tell you the name that of who told them this information. And that's probably just good advice on anything in life. And, uh, you know, you talk about social media, I got to the point where if somebody has an anonymous account, it doesn't have a real name on it. I don't even pay attention to, to what they're putting out there because, you know, that could be anybody. You no know, egg, you're, no you're eggs. Co- no eggs. Yeah. Well, or at least have a name, right? You know, if it's, <laughs> if it's uh, Gator for Atlanta, whatever. Right. You know, that's, and they're not going to have their name on that. Their, their opinion really is meaningless um, <laughs> because, you know, we, we, we live in a world where there should be accountability. And, and uh, unfortunately, when it comes to uh, rumors and speculation, there's not a lot of accountability. And uh, social media probably, uh, you know, um, enhances some of the some of the ability for people to do that. But I, you know, try to put your blinders on and move forward. And and you know, instead of following worrying about speculation and rumors, we you know we we spend a lot of time thinking about how we can help the Gators be as good as can, as they can be. Hmm. Uh, turning our attention to to basketball, it's been obviously a very weird season already. And then adding on top of it, what happened with Keontae Johnson. Um, you've dealt with a lot of different things in your career. What has it been like with a situation this unprecedented and what have been the biggest challenges of, of working with coach white and with the, the entire program to, you know, to get through what was for, I mean, a week or two, a, a terrifying situation for everybody. Well, you know, it's the, you're exactly right. It actually puts things in perspective when you have a situation like what happened with Keontae. Um, you know, we're, we all want to play games. We all want to, you know, get back to normal, but, um, that was something that, uh, was a really scary situation. And, you know, the good news uh, currently is that Keontae seems, seems to be doing really well. He's feeling great. I have had a several opportunities to interact with him. And, um, if, you know, if it weren't for the fact that he's not out there on the court playing basketball, you would think he is perfectly fine because he's got mm-hmm. a great demeanor and says he feels really well. But, you know, this is uh, this is those, one of those times, like I was talking about earlier, where we, we listen to our medical people and, and wait for them to give us answers. And, and especially in this situation, we, we make sure that, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to do everything we can to support the family, Keontae's family and Keontae himself. And, um, you know, it's, it's certainly added a, a, a different, there's already a lot of stress. We've seen that and we've heard about, um, you know, anytime you go through something that's abnormal, it causes uh, mental and emotional stress. And we saw that with our football and our fall sports seasons, you know, soccer and volleyball, mm-hmm. you know, testing multiple times a week and, and all the travel protocols and all the meeting protocols and all the practice protocols and basketball, our basketball team has all those things as well. And now on top of that, uh, those young men, you know, saw, you know, something potentially really horrific happen to Keontae uh, in, in game action. And, and so that's, they, they're, they're in a, uh, uh, you know, it's been a tough go for them. And, mm-hmm. and Mike White has uh, done a great job of leading that group during that time. And, and when I say he's done a great job, I mean the way he has wrapped his arms around them and, and cared for them. Because really, at the end of the day, leadership is about uh, taking care of the people who are under your responsibility. And, and Mike's done a really good job of that. So 
you know, it's, this is a, it's made, it's made a challenging year that much tougher. And, and our, our best wishes with Keontae. He continues to be around the program. The doctors continue to try to um, figure out what they can about what exactly happened there. And, and hopefully going forward, uh, he'll continue to get good news. One wrinkle that, that COVID's presented is every athlete essentially getting a, a free year of extra ability. This one's kind of a, a flyer. Um, what challenges is that creating from a scholarship, roster size standpoint, and how do you make that work for every sport? Well, you know, there's a, um, you know, I don't really know how to answer the question. We're, you know, we talk a lot about opportunities. And so there's more, there's more student athletes on our campuses who are getting opportunities and will be getting opportunities. And, um, you know, there's some financial hurdles with that because that's additional scholarships that are being paid for. That's additional uh, stipends that are being paid out from the cost of living uh, stipend. That's additional medical care and, mm-hmm. and, you know, all the other things that, you know, uh, academic support. So there's a financial piece of that. Um, the, the roster management is, is going to be different. You have more people. And so that's just something our, our staff and our coaches and, and compliance and others are going to have to manage as we go forward. Um, but you know, this is, that seems like such a small thing to have to deal with given what has happened in the last year. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always a, it's really, uh, special how many young people want to take advantage of the opportunity to compete at a, uh, for a university while earning a degree and getting education. And, um, even during these times, there's, that demand is not going backwards. More and more young people want to take advantage of that opportunity, and and we're going to have a we have access to more for to more of them for longer periods of time than we normally do. And uh, we're going to continue to strive to to you know make sure they have an unbelievable experience while they're here with the Gators. One of the things that that you've spearheaded from day one was taking the facilities to another level. Uh, the next phase in that process is the opening of the new Florida ballpark and giving baseball this incredible new home. Um, I know that it's not going to be full on opening day like it would be in any other year, but what does it mean to see that project come to fruition, especially uh, as as big of a college baseball guy as you are? Well, that's going to be a lot of fun. It was, you know, our our team has moved over there and uh, had a chance to go through their fall practice in the Florida ballpark. And so I had a chance to see them you know, enjoy the facility and, and, and use it. And, you know, that, that's a, that's one level of uh, satisfaction that you get mm-hmm. from, you know, seeing a project like that come out of the ground. Uh, but the next one really is we want to see our fans get in there and enjoy it. And you're right. It won't be normal crowds. We won't have, you know, seven, 8,000 people in there, but uh, I, I am still looking forward to the, uh, the ones who, who do come and are allowed to come uh, to see their reaction. Cause I think they're going to be blown away by, uh, all the amenities, uh, by how nice it is, the proximity to the field and the players, how much closer the action they're going to be. Uh, all the shade, I say with a big smile <laughs> on my face, all the shade that, that the new facility is going to provide. And then just all the different ways that, that people can engage with the ballpark, you know, whether they're in their seat, whether in the club level, whether they're walking around the concourse and, you know, they keep view of the, of the, of the action while they're doing so, whether they're out on one of the berms or, uh, in, you know, the, the Disney Grove, which is the area in center field that I think is going to be a lot of fun have a craft beer garden and all this kind of stuff. So there's, there's just going to be a lot of things for people to enjoy. And I'm, I'm, you know, looking forward to seeing a bunch of gators out there having fun. 
so now the the bat and ball sports they they've got their playgrounds i mean that that part of campus is now obviously at, at another level and then we zoom back across campus to i guess the the biggest piece of this all which is the new football facility um the scale of it is massive seeing the amount of real estate that's taken up uh, I know it's still early, but what can you tell us about that project right now and, and the progress that's been made? Well, it, it's it's really exciting to see uh, that land repurposed, and you know, uh, you know, within a few weeks, it went from being uh, McKeithen Stadium to you know a, a construction zone. <laughs> and you drive by there today, and you see a lot of work going on, and the trailers are out, and the bulldozers are are there. Um, they're in that stage of of construction where all the utility work is being done, all the underground substructure, subsurface kind of things that uh, a layman like me doesn't really understand. But <laughs> but obviously those are really important things that, that occur. And uh, in fact, it, you can't even drive down that stadium road now right. near the pool because of the construction work that's being done. And all that is associated with the Hebner Football Training Center. So, um, you know, it's exciting. They're working on the foundation piece and, and here during the spring, that'll be coming out of the ground. Because of of COVID and, and what happened last spring, we probably got delayed about three months off our original schedule. So, uh, you know, we were hoping to break ground sometime, um, you know, in, in summer, August or so, and we didn't get around to it really hard and heavy until November, December. But uh, we're moving forward and it's it's going to be exciting. And as uh, we turn to spring and then on the summer, everybody's going to see that facility start to take shape and, and come out of the ground. And that's going to be a really impactful investment for Gator athletics, not just our football program, it's going to be huge for our football program, but really for all of our athletics for generations to come, they're going to be Gators that, uh, that, that haven't even been born yet who are going to benefit from that facility long after we're gone. And that's, uh, that's really exciting. I, I think it's going to change the future of our program in a lot of ways. Uh, not change, change may not be the right word, uh, enhance the future of our program in a lot of ways. And, uh, and certainly football is going to be, uh, the biggest beneficiary. In terms of where you are right now and what's on the immediate docket um, for the spring, what what are some of the things you're focused on and how much of it is being driven by COVID and kind of evaluating the ever-changing landscape as you do move through the rest of the year? Well, you know, this has obviously been a, a challenging year in a lot of ways. And, and you know, we continue to make, uh, you know, the safety of our athletes and our staff a top priority. And so, uh, you know, we, we all see news of vaccines starting to come out and, and starting to be administered. And, and, you know, that's, that's great news, but obviously that's going to be a process. And so making sure that we continue to be diligent with uh, our protocols from a safety and healthy health standpoint, make sure that we understand just because the calendar flipped from 2020 to, to 2021, that, you know, we can't necessarily, we're not in position yet to, to go back to, to way the way they were, before COVID, um, but also keeping an eye as we as we move throughout 21 and more vaccines are administered and and you know listening to what our public health experts tell us at some point during this calendar year there's a good chance we can start going back to more the way it was pre-COVID and so just wanted to be you know make sure we're we're being smart for this spring semester but maybe keep an eye as we move toward uh, summer and fall. Uh, maybe we can start transitioning in some ways back to some sense of normalcy. I mentioned earlier, you know, we, we're, we're hopeful uh, that we're going to be able to have regular crowds at football in the fall. I don't, you know, right now we're, you know, January of 21, I don't know that we can say that with any kind of certainty, but mm-hmm. we're optimistic that that might be the case. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot that comes with 
that planning and preparation and, you know, making sure that uh, we continue to create a great atmosphere for our student athletes and for our fans. Um, and, and then making sure our staff, you know, the other thing is, is and this is really important and, and this isn't the time it'll probably be in the summer, but make sure our staff has time to get away and catch mm-hmm. their breath because they've, uh, you know, 2020 was a rough year on, on a lot of people, but, uh, our staff really, um, uh, has put in a lot of hours in really unusual circumstances. And this spring is going to be incredibly busy because as you know, Adam, in addition to all the normal winter and spring sports that get played, we also have volleyball and soccer right. that uh, have had their championship segment of their season bumped over to the spring. So it's going to be an incredibly busy time from an athletic standpoint. And uh, when, when this spring semester is over and hopefully the Gators have had a lot of success, you know, I want to make sure everybody has a chance to catch their breath and, and recharge a little bit and, and, and our student ad- athletes obviously can get a chance to do the same. And, and then hopefully we can, we can look to the fall, maybe uh, looking a little more normal. I feel like so many of these conversations we've had the last few years have been about the facilities and about you know that master plan. Now that you're getting to the other side of that and that's all in motion, what's the next big picture item that you're focused on or projects, plural, that you're going to be looking at down the road? Well, you know, you and I have talked in the past, Adam, about the need to, to look for at a long range view of Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. And, um, you know, candidly, the, you know, what's happened with COVID has probably delayed some of those plannings that, that normally would have taken place. And, and one of the reasons, and, and it may be fortuitous because um, we may learn some things that that have gone on the past year that may impact what facilities need to look like for fans mm-hmm. in the future. Um, so that's, you know, that's something that uh, uh, we will get back on here pretty quick. Uh, we're always kind of thinking about it, but we've, we've not really been doing a lot of actual work there just because it's hard to engage with architects and everybody else during this time with, mm-hmm. with zoom calls. You really need a lot of those meetings to be face to face, but um you know, in the next few years, the, you know, the stadium, Ben Hill Griffin Stadium is going to have to get a lot of attention. Another project that, that's actually going to take place here in the next year or so that is, is pretty significant for the, for the sport that's going to be using it is uh, we're going to have a uh, – we're going to build a new clubhouse for our soccer team out at Disney Stadium hmm. adjacent to where the lacrosse was, uh, clubhouse is. And uh, that, that's the one sport that's been a little nomad, uh, no, nomadic. You know, they have uh, – their locker room is over in the Limran Center – adjacent mm-hmm. to where, you know, McKeithen Stadium used to be, and they, they play and practice out on the southwest part of campus. We need to, to provide them something that, that makes more sense. And so we'll be doing that here in the next year or so, and that, you know, that'll be a, a really important piece as well. Uh, but then away from facilities, uh, we need to get our financial house in order, and that's, you know, COVID's had a big impact there. And, and uh, uh, you know, UAA was probably – positioned about as well as any athletic program in the country to weather this year. But uh, it's our hope we can, you know, we can make it a one year uh, financial issue and uh, working really hard to, you know, we've tightened our belts and we've cut expenses and, and we've done all these things um, that uh, give us the opportunity to get through this year, but hopefully doing it in a way that doesn't greatly impact our, our student athletes. And uh, you know, when we come out of this, we want to make sure that we can get it as healthy as possible from a resources standpoint so we can continue to provide a championship experience with integrity for our athletes and our fans. Final question for you. I, I will start by saying that I'm currently on season three of the West Wing. So I got a long runway ahead of me before I've got new things I can consume. Um, but 
when I do have that opportunity, you always come with great recommendations. Your, your taste is impeccable. You've had a lot of time, as have all of us, throughout the last uh, nine, ten months to find new things to watch. I'm curious, what has caught your attention? Was it something new? Was it something you went back and discovered? What's on the What's on the queue right now at the, the Strickland House? Yeah, and I can't remember the last time uh, what, I, what we talked about. Uh, I think it was early fall or late summer, Adam, and we had our last conversation. I think it was April. And I think in oh, April, wow. Okay. Yeah, I think it was about, I think that was Tiger King time. But luckily, we well, moved on I, from that. I, uh, there's a lot. I watched Peaky Blinders, which is uh, mm-hmm. a really good kind of British uh, uh, crime family drama. I uh, watched another British show called Broadchurch, which is three seasons that was uh, kind of a, a whodunit mystery kind of show. Really well done, really well acted. Um, you know, every now and then you need something a little more lighthearted. And uh, there's a TV show on Apple TV called Ted Lasso. And if you've not watched Ted Lasso, you need to do that. I've heard 30 about it. episodes and it's, it's cute and it's funny, but some of the leadership lessons that they don't, you don't even realize when you're watching it, that they're teaching you leadership lessons <laughs> because he comes across kind of, kind of goofy, but uh, the leadership lessons in there are really good. And, uh, and then we, uh, my wife and I just finished up the, uh, the fourth season of the crown. I don't know if you've watched any of, of those shows. I have not. The, the crown has been, that's like a, that's a, my fiance thing. I haven't myself gone into that, yeah. that pool. I wasn't there either there uh, originally, you know, my wife kind of drug me to it, but boy, really well done, really well directed, incredible acting, great storylines. So I would, uh, there's a lot of British stuff. I just realized yeah, it's so a lot of British. St- <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't mean to do that that way, but, uh, they're all, those are all really good shows. And any American shows that have, uh, <laughs> have caught your eye? <laughs> well, uh, I have to think about that. There's nothing, you know, you mentioned West Wing. That's one of my very favorite all time shows. I, I, uh, I actually started going back through some of those during the pandemic, just because mm-hmm. that uh, those are also really well done, well acted, and uh, I would I would uh, highly encourage West Wing. Well, before we talk next, uh, I'll, I'll assume you're going to dive into uh, domestic offerings to add that to your palate. <laughs> um, but uh, thank you as always for being so gracious with your time and sharing so much with us, and uh, we wish you, you a lot of luck getting us through the spring here. Well, I appreciate Adam and uh, appreciate all the work you do. And uh, for our fans who are listening out there, I want uh, Gator Nation to understand how how much we appreciate them, how much we missed having them uh, with us in mass this fall. And uh, we hope they're all staying safe and healthy. And we look forward to the time down the road we can all be back together again. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Until next week, I'm Adam Schiff. Please stay safe and go Gators.